Morning. Comforting to know everything is in his hands. Amen. I'll uh, add to Dean's uh, compliments to the night for the children. It was wonderful. It was just marvelous. And um, I tell you, our puppeteers get better every year. Man. It's a scary thing when they're that good, you start to forget they're puppets. I'm telling you. When we have the responsibility, the obligation to to um, come up behind the pulpit, we always look for things of encouragement. And today's song we sang um, as a congregation, Trust and Obey, just thrilled my soul because I sang it this morning in the shower. Now, don't get scared. I'm not going to sing it. My goodness, you should see some of the looks. But it was it was an encouragement to me. I, it is one of my favorite songs. I, I must admit I sing it often in the shower, in the car, and when the rest of you are singing very loud, I partake. And uh, what can we say about the gospel touch? I uh, count myself privileged and honored to have them literally paved the way this morning. It's a blessing. I don't know if you noticed, but the male person in the gospel touch, in case you haven't heard, happens to be my hero and he's marrying my daughter. (laughs) Now I've got to see it behind the pulpit. But it won't be the last time, I'm sure. Would you turn with me to the gospel of Mark? Our message this morning I've titled, The Making of a Man of God. can be as easily said, a woman of God. But it's what God does in this world. We will be in chapter 1. Everybody looks for role models, don't they? Especially our children. So many of the people that reside on this planet look to successful people, political people in power. Sports figures is just absolutely huge. Movie stars for role models to copy. But you know, sooner or later, the role model comes crashing down most of the time, doesn't it? Do you know, as parents, we have a responsibility to give our children role models, to show them individuals that they can aspire after, they can pattern themselves after. And make no mistake, the most important role models they should have 
our mom and dad. Because what they, what they see in mom and dad will affect the rest of their life. But God has also provided numerous examples of marvelous men and women of God in the Bible that we should teach our children about so that they too can aspire to do the things for God that the people in the Bible did. This morning we're going to look at one person that God looked at, he saw him, and he knew. And the marvelous thing is he knew before the foundations of the world who this person was. Do you realize this morning that God knew about you and that he was going to create you far, far back in eternity? Now, I don't know about you, but my finite mind starts to crumble a little at that concept, but that's okay. It is what he is. He is infinite. He is sovereign. He is eternal. He is immutable. He has all these marvelous things because he is God. That's the difference. Yes, Jesus Christ came down and took the form of a man. But make no mistake, he never, ever lost any of his attributes. He never, ever was the same as us. He was humanity but he was perfect humanity. We are imperfect at best. And as many of us know, in our prior lives before Christians, far worse. But for our text this morning, we're going to read in the Gospel of Mark. We'll start in chapter, or chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he, that is Jesus, was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Out of that portion of scripture, the two words that I want us to think about are he saw. Jesus saw Peter the fisherman. Now, as we go through today's message, the marvelous thing about God is he does not ever see what we are. He sees what he desires for us to be. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Because all of us before we came to Christ were nothing to look at. We were shameful, sinful Christians. And some of us were a lot more shameful and a lot more sinful than others. But nonetheless, we were all sinful. But he sees each and every one of us today. And if there's anybody here this morning that does not yet know Christ as his Savior 
or her Savior. Christ does not see you the way you are this morning. Though he knows you, he knows everything about you. He sees what you could become if you turn your life over to him and let him, let him have his way with you. He sees marvelous things. Make no mistake, God does not look for and he doesn't put emphasis on physical characteristics when he's looking. He doesn't care if we're beautiful or not so beautiful. He isn't concerned whether we're fat or thin, tall or short, male or female. He doesn't care what the color of our skin is. He isn't influenced one iota by our intellect. He doesn't care if we're extremely brilliant, smart, or not so smart. He isn't concerned of what our education is or whether we've even been educated. Our economic standing does not impress him at all. Doesn't matter if we're rich, very rich, very poor, middle of the road, it has no bearing whatsoever to God. He isn't concerned whether we're employed or we're not employed. He doesn't he isn't concerned what our profession is on a professional level or on a labor level or even unemployed. He's unimpressed by our homes or the lack thereof, the cars we drive. He just isn't impressed about anything we possess. And isn't that in stark contrast to this world? Hmm? In the world, all these things mean everything. To him, no. Now, once we become a child of God, He is concerned, however, how we conduct ourselves. He's extremely concerned about our testimony and that our testimony brings glory to him always, every day. But when he's looking upon us before we know him, these things are not of importance to him. But here's what God does look for. He tells Samuel this in the Old Testament as Samuel was considering who he was going to choose from the sons of Jesse to become king in Saul's place. And God had to rebuke Saul. He says, do not look on his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God does not see as a man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that day when God saw Peter fishing, because in those days he had no notoriety, his aspirations were few, if any. And he had held no position that would impress anybody. 
for fishermen are a scrappy lot. In a job I used to have, I came in contact with quite a few, and they were a pretty rough and ready bunch. But God saw many things about Peter, because God saw what he would become. But immediately when God spoke to Peter, what did Peter do? Did he want to discuss? Did he want to set up a forum? Did he want to let him take a look at his resume? It says immediately he followed him. Hopefully each and every one of us this morning can say the same. That immediately we followed him. And we continue to follow him. In Mark chapter 8 verse 29. He understood who Christ was. He told him when asked. So the call was a call because God saw Peter's heart. God saw what Peter would become. But that's just the beginning. That's not the story. First and foremost, in Peter's life, as in each and every one of our lives, there must be a conversion. For God has to save us, in many cases, including my own, in spite of ourselves. And many of us, including myself, we give him no cooperation in attempting to save us. And why must we be saved? Because God loved us, 1 John 3.16. Amazing thing when you think about it. This is a holy, this is a righteous, this is a perfect God who can't tolerate sin. Sin can't come in his presence. The devil has to approach him with permission. He is totally righteous, totally perfect. And yet, as we are, he loved us. Who does he save? He saves everyone because everyone needs to be saved. In Romans it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because the wages of sin, in Romans it says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. He pays the price. Christ paid the price. And last, how are we saved? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Isn't that a marvelous thing? That each and every one of us, at one time or another, that are Christians, did just that. Can we remember? Most of us, our cheeks were stained with tears, weren't they? If we weren't literally on our knees, we certainly were on the knees in our heart. And we were ready. Hopefully we don't forget why we came to him. But it's a choice. It's a choice for each and every person. That's the one thing that's so important to remember. And remember this. 
Our sins as sinners qualified us for hell. Okay? We were born into this world sinners. We have sinned in a multiple of ways. That there qualifies us for hell. It doesn't get us to hell. What gets us to hell is the sin of rejection of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake. Whether it's someone who lives by the golden rule and wants to work his way to heaven with good works, he has rejected Christ and that is what puts him in hell. Just as much as the sin of rejection of Hitler or any other evil person. And once you're in hell, make no mistake, there are no degrees in hell. Hitler is not in a deeper form of hell than the do-gooder. Because the moment they leave this life and they cross over to death, all their words of mocking of Christians, the people that have sat in the gas chamber and mocked the audience before they were put to death, it's gone. The moment they see and understand what hell is, they're a whimpering, suffering soul forever. There are no tough guys in hell. It's a horrible place. Sometimes we forget what gnashing and grinding of teeth is. But if you've ever been injured, maybe with a sports injury, or certainly the women who have gone through childbirth, or you've been in an accident and you endure that initial pain, you grit your teeth, don't you? It's just a natural reaction. This is worse and it's forever. You see, it's not for a week. It's not for a year. It's not for a lifetime. It's forever. Those of us who know Christ, in a billion years from now, we'll be sitting around somewhere in heaven rejoicing with our Savior and each other. They will be in that same torment a billion, a trillion, a quadrillion years from now and forever and forever and all their smart aleck remarks, and all their pride, and all their toughness, and all their rudeness is gone. Let it burden us to pray for our family members, our spouses possibly, our parents, our children, our neighbors, our co-workers. We should be burdened. We should be burdened. Back to Peter. When God says, at the acceptable time I listened to you and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know him, Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Because you have no guarantee of tomorrow. Every day, in the newspapers, on the television, on the internet, on the radio, we hear of tragedies. People left that morning (coughs) and weren't planning to die. But they did, didn't they? 
Today is the day of salvation. Once we're saved, there is a walk with Christ that he desires. With each and every one of us. Peter had some marvelous qualities. He was teachable. Did you know that? For all the humorous things that are said about Peter, God saw in Peter that he was teachable. One of the most telling examples was the day they fished. And they'd been out all night and they'd worked awful hard. And Peter was a fisherman after all. And they came in. And fishermen know in the Sea of Galilee, you don't fish during the day because the fish go very low and they're not, you're not able to get to them. So Jesus asked him to, to push out from the shore, drop his nets. <clears throat> and it's true, Peter informed the Lord that this wasn't the time. But because he was the Lord, he would do it. But that's not what to focus on. What to focus on about Peter and why he was teachable is when they were hauling the nets into the boat that were so immense and it was about to sink his boat, the realization hit him of who Jesus was and he dropped to his knees and he said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. That's a teachable spirit. May God teach us and show us to have a teachable spirit. Like Peter. He had faith. Peter had faith. When he first knew Jesus, he sensed something about him. He heard something about him. And he immediately took him to his home. And his mother-in-law, who was ill. Peter had faith that God could take care of his mother-in-law. Most of the time we think of Peter as the disciple who sank. How many disciples stepped out of the boat when they saw Jesus? One. One. Peter. Peter had faith. He had faith in God, though. He didn't have faith in himself. And it isn't a marvelous thing that as long as Peter's faith and his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he was fine. It wasn't until the wind and the water splashed his face and, and he took his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink, did he? But he also asked the Lord to help him at that point, didn't he? So always remember where Peter ended up, not where he was at one point. But know this, Peter had faith. And I pray God would give me faith like Peter's. And Peter was protective and he was loyal. Though it uh, wasn't the right course of action when that servant approached his Savior, he grabbed his sword, didn't he? And the, the Savior wasn't pleased with his actions. But his heart was right. And don't let this world 
And don't let so much of society today dismiss or criticize or put down loyalty. Because I'm here to tell you that God thinks and, and God loves loyalty as much as he loves anything else that we can possess. Loyalty is a wonderful thing. But Peter also, as he walked with Christ, Peter had to come to the point for him to really be the person God wanted him to be. He had to taste failure. He literally had to taste failure because he had pride. And many of us have pride. But remember, Christ saw what Peter was going to be all along, not what Peter was. And so as Peter was boasting in his self, though all run away from you, though all deny you, I'll be there. And when we know what Jesus said to him, we know what Jesus said to him. Before the cock crows twice, you, Peter, will deny me three times. And it says in the Gospel of Luke, because where he was, Christ could see him from where he was, where the Lord was. And as Peter denied him the third time and looked up, Christ was staring at him. And that's what Peter saw. Can we imagine... The defeat for Peter. Can we imagine, can we even come close to understanding the failure he tasted as he left and wept bitterly? And then in the life of a man of God, sometimes our dreams and our aspirations have to die also. And they came to a screeching halt, didn't they, at the cross? It was over. He had been crucified. He had been killed. And he was put in a tomb. And then we know the story. They heard the news. The tomb was empty. They ran, didn't they? And John outran Peter. But Peter was the first in the tomb. And when they saw the empty tomb, hope was restored because they remembered his words. But they didn't just remember his words. They believed. Do we believe?
Have we had our dreams and aspirations crash and burn from time to time? He's there for us, you know. But I think the most marvelous discourse, or one of the most marvelous in the Bible, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John and chapter 21. For I, I just can't but marvel every time I read this portion because it's just so it's just so amazing to see God's mercy and God's love at work. Now they had been out fishing which really wasn't what they were supposed to be doing again. But he showed up at the shore. And he built them a fire and he made them a meal because he loved them. Now, there have been many different interpretations of Peter's action of jumping into the water Some think he was so ashamed he wanted to hide himself. Peter wasn't proud of what he did, but he loved the Lord. And I believe he jumped in the water and he swam in because he wanted, he couldn't wait for that boat to get there. He loved his master. He loved his Lord. And he was very despondent and he was very grieved about what he had done. How he had denied that he even knew him. I pray that our actions never get that way in our life with Christ. Please don't deny him. Stand for him. And you will be blessed. But here we have them, and Jesus knew something needed to take place for Peter to possibly get up and have the vitality that he once had, to have the drive that he once had, to have the courage and the loyalty that he once had. But the difference was he was now going to have it inspired and empowered by Christ. And this discourse is what had to take place in Peter's life. Verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Now, there's something that doesn't show up in this portion of Scripture that's so very important in this conversation. Jesus, when he said to Peter, do you love me? He was using the form of love called agape, which is God's love, God's sacrificial love, God's selfless love. It is the ultimate form of love. There is nothing higher 
than love of God that's in this word agape. When Peter responded to him, he was not worthy, nor did he feel worthy to use this word. He used the word filio, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Filio basically is a fondness. And so understand when we're reading this, that Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me selflessly? Do you love me with that sacrificial love? Peter responded, Lord, I'm fond of you. And so for the sake of understanding, I'm going to use those words. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, He said to him a second time. How many times did Peter deny him? Don't forget that. Three times he denied him. A second time he said to him, Simon, the son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. Jesus said to him, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, Jesus said to him a third time, notice, Simon, son of John, are you fond of me? Jesus came down to where Peter was at that point. He understood where Peter was. Peter didn't feel worthy. He didn't know at that point how to say to his Savior, I love you selflessly, for he had failed him miserably, didn't he? But Jesus comes down to him and he says, Are you fond of me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I'm fond of you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Here we have one of the most marvelous Portions of restoration in the Bible. Peter was restored that day. Peter was forgiven that day. But he wasn't just forgiven. Peter was assigned a job to do for his Savior. The question we need to ask ourselves this morning Are we fond of him? Do we love him? Do we stand for him? Is he involved in our life? So there is his reconciliation with his Savior. And finally, and in conclusion, we have to look at the life of Peter And see if we see evidence of what Jesus saw at the very beginning when the world saw a scruffy old fisherman. But Jesus saw what he could become. Let's take a moment and let's see what Peter became. On Pentecost... 
Peter was chosen to preach to the multitudes and 3,000 were saved. Evidence. On another occasion, Peter healed the lame. Evidence. Peter was chosen to open the door to the Gentiles, which was a huge, huge thing in those days. God's mercy, God's mystery. Peter was chosen to open the door. Peter was given the responsibility and the task and the privilege to become an author in the Bible. Peter is one of the authors of the Word of God, the most important book that has ever been written. Peter was a role model. Peter is a role model. Peter will always be a role model. Let us bow our heads. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, a few questions. Is my life a role model? The answer is yes. Each and every person is a role model. The question this morning What kind of a role model are we? Are we a parent? If we are a parent, are we a role model? Yes, you are a role model. Yes, I am a role model. What kind of a role model are we? Are we one that inspires our children to become like Christ, to want to be a Christian, to want to serve? Peter became more like Jesus as a role model. Have we become more like Jesus? Not only to our children, but to our siblings to our parents, to the people we work with, to our neighbors. But remember this, if you don't remember anything else this morning, Jesus never saw us as we were or are. Jesus sees what we can be in him. The question for us this morning, are we letting him make us what he wants us to be? If we don't know him this morning, why not? Isn't it about time that we let him become our Lord and Savior and change our life and learn to become 
what he wants us to be. Wouldn't you rather in a billion years from now be with him, enjoying forever and ever and ever heaven? Do you really want to be in hell? Don't have the response, well, that's what you think. Don't believe the lie of the devil that there's many ways to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is it. There isn't another way. That is the only way. And believe me, you do not want to spend eternity in hell. Christians, what kind of role models are we this morning? What kind of role models have we been? Are we on our way to being what Jesus wants us to be? A news flash. It's the best thing under the sun. If we're not there, today is a day when we can change. Today is a day we can make today a memorial. We can turn our lives back over to him. We can let him have his way. And life will be good. Peace and joy will be restored. Vitality will be in our step. And joy will be in our hearts. May this be our prayer today. Or as Christians, to continue letting him have his way. We thank you now, Lord Jesus, for this morning. We rejoice in you and we thank you for Peter who is such an awesome role model. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.